0: would you have some, some thoughts, some reflections for us after having I mean, had such a big event and getting back to normal? Maybe some advice for how to calm down, <laughs> <laughs> how to kind of stay, stay, uh, stay alive? <laughs> I was just being a witness to the state of mind. Like when you have an event, like this past week, and uh, all these people coming, and the King of Thailand, and the Queen, and some bits, and it's like this, you know, so you just even trust in your awareness of what you're feeling. You can't really help what you're feeling. You don't choose to feel excited or frustrated or whatever emotion arises in these events is the way it is. You don't choose it. It is a condition. when you have big ceremonies like that. And uh, they affect us in emotionally. You know, no matter how uh, Tranquil. We we like to be. We we have to feel life itself. This this world that we're experiencing through the body, through the senses, is is not peaceful, not tranquil. It's usually very you know changeable and and um, you know, and you can't predict and you can't choose your mood, but you can be aware of the mood. So that's the whole developing the path, is, is to trust in that awareness of whatever you're feeling without judging it. So if, you know, if you felt annoyed or averse to the, this non, this, this celebration of the, the close Hall, the hall, if you, if you were for it, or you're interested, or you're bored, or you don't want to be here, whatever... Your feeling, the witnessing is not judging. It just knows it's like this, the way it is. Because otherwise, we're always trying to falsify everything. We we try. We know how we should feel in in a ceremony like this, and be a good example, as an exemplary member of the sangha and. We know all they should of how to, good behavior and so forth. Mm-hmm. But that's intellectual. That's not feeling. You don't you don't feel uh, ideal about anything whatsoever. So like Vachao you know, was was emphasizing the the um, mantra. Which is the Buddha's name, which is a witnessing ability that, as human beings, we have this innate ability to witness what we're feeling. We're not just caught in the momentum of habits and feelings and emotions that, that we have. And so the ignorant, unenlightened human being is, is a victim of, of what he's feeling, what he or she may be feeling. And so, <clears throat> You know, and then we try to control ourselves, or or pretend, or play roles, and do all kinds of things that create even more sense of frustration, annoyance, and and uh, confusion as emotions. So in the sangha, taking refuge in sangha, and then it's it's to the aware this awareness of what you're feeling. So, like, right now, what on our chart is like this. You know, so, you know, that this, it's not a judgment, it's not a statement of whether you like it or don't like it, but it's just an acknowledgement in English words of you know, what you might be experiencing emotionally at this very moment. And trust that, that, that's the, who told the, when we take refuge in Buddha, Dhamma, Sangha, this is, this is what it really means. It's not trying to take refuge in some ideal Buddha or Dhamma or Sangha, and, you know, and it's not just a empty ceremony that we go through in this tradition, but actually is very skillful a reflection, Buddha, Dhamma, Sangha. Like Buddha is it's our ability to witness. So at this moment, you all know what you're feeling. You just observe. It's like this. And what I'm saying, how it affects you, is like this. And this it's the reflection on Buddha Dhamma's Sangha, is like this. And so you're in this way of of letting go of things, of not trying to manipulate or change or develop or create or anything like that, you 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 realize that real bhavana or meditation is is this pure witnessing, turning to trust this. So, in my own experience, like you're going. To England, for example, uh, in 1977. And, uh, and so then the American conditioning, the American cultural conditioning, was to make value judgments about England and London and things like this. Uh, then I had ideals of, you know, being a a good example of a, of a Buddhist monk from Thailand and, and, uh, teaching Dhamma to people and I had the ideals. But then in the actual reality of living, we lived in London for two years and, uh, and, you know, in a, in a northwest London, which is quite a nice area to live in. But still, you know, the main street outside the Vihara was a busy street with a pub across the way, and, and it's so easy to complain, to complain about the, the noise from the pub or on the weekends drunks coming into the Vihara and, and wishing you were back in Thailand or wanting to get rid of the Hampstead Vihara and live in a forest and. And all these kind of personal reactions to the situation, the real practice lay in just it's like this. Hamstead Vihara is like this. And this uh, was very much emphasized by Buddha Dasa Bhikkhu in Sun Mok years ago. He was Ben Yang Niang in Thai he was saying that. They had this in in the BBC British Radio. They had this desert island disc where they they interviewed celebrities about if you were going off to a desert island to live alone, isolated. What books would you take? What music would you listen to? And so and so. Buddha Dasa was asked this, and he'd say, i take a little amulet just saying, niang.' niang it's like, this. and that really impressed me, because, you know, he maybe take the whole Tripitaka with me, <laughs> 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 and the Abhidhamma and all the rest, and uh, just this simple Thai phrase, benyang niang it's like, translated into English, it's like this. And so, you know, in the following days here, be aware, not that, you're not the judge anymore, you're not the the, ju- the, the judgment issue is intellectual, it's about right and wrong and what's acceptable and unacceptable. That's an acquired kind of skill and knowledge to discriminate one thing, one condition with another, or one experience with another. <clears throat> and you can't trust it, because it's, it, uh, you know, it's, it, we, we each, each of us has our personal karma to live with. So what you might particularly like, I may not like at all, or I think what you might consider right, I might consider wrong. So then we get into arguments, you know, about who's right and who's wrong. And that happens a lot in the sangha, because we've we've got all these strict vinaya rules and that, and that what real what uh, is right and what the Buddha intended, and we and so the quarrels in sangha are oftentimes around vinaya about rules and in uh, suttas there are some amusing stories. of <laughs> um, um, because in front of the Buddha, having arguments about denial rules, because that's, denial is about action and speech, not about the way it is. So action and speech we can take responsibility for. So like our, in this tradition, Wat as we remember it as established by Lung you know, the Vinaya is like this. So, and... And then the, there are other Ajans who... I went spent to another monastery in central Thailand years ago, and... And he was very... It was a very strict Vinaya monastery. Every Vinaya rule had to be kept in a certain way. And when... I questioned it, I was wrong to question it, I should just, and because we didn't keep all that in the, in Watapong, there is judgments against Lung Po Cha. Because, you know, this is about rather minor rules in, in Vinaya. So we can, be, you know, become very strongly righteous about action and speech. Without witnessing the effect that has on us, and be, having to be right or having to have strong views and and opinions about right and wrong, is like this. So you know, and so my my background and my generation of American, you know, we were very righteous. As brought up as a Christian, which is a very righteous kind of religion. So you're, you know, about heaven and hell and sin and virtue and all these, these words, one opposed to the other. And so when I first came to live with Lung Po Cha, that's all I could, you know, I had very, uh, you know, judgmental views and opinions about everything. And uh, because that's my cultural conditioning, that's what I identified with. And then, Lung Macha emphasis on on uh, being aware of what you're feeling. Was was a, it was the way that I survived that first year because, you know, it was very frustrating settling into a to a different. Lifestyle, a very strict Northeast Thai monastery, uh, from being, uh, you know, brought up in West Coast of the United States. And so, and learning another language and, and learning to, how to behave within the limitations of Inai as it was taught. You know, it's all new and frustrating and, and confusing for me. And so, you know, and so I found the Puto style of Lung Po Cha because I kind of intuitively respected that because I could witness. I learned that I had the ability to observe what I was feeling. And so that was, you know, and Lung Po Cha encouraged me to do that. Just to be, not the judge, but the witness. And so pure conscious awareness is not judgmental, it's pure. Consciousness, pure conscious. and this is where mindfulness, we use the word mindful or awareness. This is, this is, this is pure consciousness, you know, which is not cluttered with, with it doesn't manifest anything. It's not a form you can't find it. You you know you can't even imagine it. But you are that. That's what it, you know. Each one of us is experiencing consciousness at this moment, and but we get caught up in our particular thoughts or memories or physical feelings. Uh, you know things that because we. We're, that's what we're used to doing. We're caught in this momentum of samsara, of just being addicted to, to habits, acquired habits. Consciousness is not an acquired habit. You know, so it, it's where forms manifest. So in liberation from delusion, from suffering, from dukkha, is to trust in this awareness. And so, you know, whether things are right or wrong, or whether you're, you're right or wrong, or whether you feel at home here, or you feel foreign or alienated, or, you know, it, it's not really, you know, it's not an obstruction to the path unless you actually follow these feelings. With more thoughts and value judgments, so you know, in terms of of, uh, experience, it's learning to trust this awareness. So one of my favorite when when I'm asked to give a formal daisana in England. I usually do the formula somebody requests that I give a talk, Dhamma talk, and then I uh chant Namutasa three times and then I uh say a one time, but which is what the Buddha announced after enlightenment that the gate to the deathless is open. So that's a, you know, it's not like, you know, there's a statement of fact, not a supposition or a theory. So it impressed me right from the beginning that, that this gate to the deathless is open. And so what is it? What is the, the gate to the deathless? What is deathless? That, that we can know And so you you can't you can't imagine deathlessness. You know, there's no way you can imagine it. You can talk about immortality or uh, that, but um, the the gate to the deathless is here and now, Bhavana Dhamma here and now. So it's conscious awareness, Bhuto aware of. The way it is, as, as you witness, as you're willing to just witness it like this. So wherever you go, whatever monastery you go to after here, you know, it is the way it is. And so you, you know, you, you, you know, like the Buddha's advice was, if it had, you know, a, uh, if it teaches dhamma, if there's teaching of dhamma and the, the vinaya is respected, that's good enough. Doesn't have. To, it could be in Bangkok or or in the forest or in a different continent or whatever. It, it's not the issue. It's just the the dhamma is is uh, respected and taught, and vinaya is 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 good. Is respected. So, the branch monasteries of Wat Vapong, you know, they all have this, and in the, in, in, in Europe or America, they, we try to live within this, this, uh, these, these limitations on the traditional form. The, you know, the, the Wat Vapong style is, is respected. We try to, Adapt to that as best we can in in different climates, different cultures. But basically, the the vinaya is taught and respected in the branch monasteries, and then the dhamma is taught. Is and the dhamma is is the way it is. All conditions are impermanent. You know, so that's that's the quotation from the scriptures. But then, in terms of bowana, we, you know, in the beginning years of vipassana inside practice, we we begin to observe impermanence in just the experiences that we have emotionally, uh, physically through the senses, because Culturally, we're not encouraged to do that. In Western culture, we, nobody, you know, taught me to, to to contemplate impermanence. Until I became a Buddhist monk, and then it was part of the encouragement to, to reflect on it. It is, you know, just what we see, hear, smell, taste, touch, what we feel, what we think. Memory, the physical body of everything is, everything is impermanent, and, and so it's unsatisfactory. You know, to put your trust and faith in condition phenomena, you know, is, is, it leads to a lot of suffering because it's untrustworthy. The only thing you can trust about it is that it changes. And so but that's a reflective position rather than trying to hold on to make something not change like trying to make what na na Cha not change you can't do it, can you? <laughs> and so, you know, coming here after all these years where it's changed considerably you know, from from just the burial ground for the village of Bumwai to a a beautiful monastery you know, the changes have happened because that's the way things are but if, if I think well, you know when you're an old monk you can be very you can think, well, the younger generation they didn't have to Go through all the suffering we did when what the home. Was no electricity. You had to draw water from the well uh, <coughs> to make a telephone call. You had to go into the town of Warian, and uh, and now everybody's got iPhones and iPads. <laughs> and so, old monks, we can make value judgments about that. About you know, in the old days, it was. You know, a lot tougher, I don't know what it's going to be like with all this high-tech and so forth. When we get caught in that kind of thinking, we become old-fashioned monks or old men who make value judgments about the younger generation. And, you know, I don't want to be like that. I don't want to be caught in just wasting this time as a Buddhist monk. Uh, Idealizing the past, but in trusting in in awareness in the present. That's all that's demanded. No matter you know how the changes go, how they you know how they develop or don't develop. So this means that wherever you go, you can you can power that. You know you have. We have ideal places where, ideal places that, you know, in the forest, uh, in a small community. And, um, we think of, um, you know, I I was very idealistic of in the early years of trying to find kind of ideal places, um, where I could practice according to my view of practice. And so I went to Phupec Mountain and took on the corn, I think after my second tanzar. Uh, and it was a very beautiful place. Uh, and I was, you know, only that there were two Thai monks and myself there. And I, I was really expecting to get my samadhi together, and really get tranquil and uh, not all the busyness of Watlapung as Watlapung had more monks and became more respected by the local communities. You know, I, I was, didn't want to be caught up in the confusion of a lot of monks and a lot of changes, so I idolized this Pupek Mountain. I was there for six months and I had, was never so miserable in my life. <laughs> so, so I was trying to get samadhi all the time. And then one of the time marks I developed a real aversion toward. So I became obsessed with, with aversion towards this one month. <laughs> And then I caught malaria, and the village men had to carry me down this mountain, you know, and I was put under a tin roof shed in the hot season, and uh in a fever, and uh all these little gnats and bugs would fly all around me. If I even open my mouth once, they don't fly in on my nose. <laughs> and and then the food you know i was very i didn't have any appetite for the food they offered and i thought i was going to die and uh, i started feeling sorry for myself and then i remember an inner voice said this is what i remember the inner voice saying shut up and meditate So I shut up, and I I sat up, stopped feeling sorry for myself, and just practiced Anupanathati. And within a week, I was okay. I was back up on top of the mountain. You know, the ideal place that I imagined. I was so glad to get back to Wababohom. You know, I was you know, Ajahn Chah maybe promise I'd return for the fun side and what the which I was very happy to do. But it was a you know, a way we learn about what we imagine is good for us or ideal situations for developing samadhi. But be the witness to that, not that it's wrong, that this is you shouldn't think like this. But it's not Developing in the right way if you just get caught up in trying to change things according to what you want, but just learning to adapt to the situation you're in. So Wat Pong now has become famous monastery. No, that's not very famous. <laughs> in the news and and it's like this you know so so in this way we we're, we're not trying to create suffering in our minds because wherever we are we you know we're going to you know conditions are not always going to be what we want and to we the monks that we live with, the lay people that support us, aren't always, you know, the, what we like or want around us. But it is the way it is to, to feel aversion towards another monk is like this. When I open myself wide, I don't make a problem about it. Where ideally... I think I should have loving kindness for all monks, all people, all sentient beings. That's that's the ideal. I know that what what I should. But the reality of this moment, the comic result of this life, and this these habit patterns that I tend to identify with, I suddenly let go of them, and they are the way they are, without judging whether they're good habits or bad habits. So like Vinaya then is, we can take responsibility for what we, how we use our bodies and our speech. That's not asking something impossible. So Vinaya isn't just about that, about how we respond to life through action and speech. But the real practice is awareness of what you're actually feeling in all conditions whether they're right or wrong, good or bad, or impermanent. And then, stafetamā anatta or dhamma. Dhamma is not personal. So this is like when we attach to sankaras, then everything becomes personal. If I attach to my prejudices, my views about life, then that's very personal. I become a person with, with views about what's beautiful, what isn't, what's right, what's wrong. But if I don't attach to views, there's no person left. Uh, you know, personality, Sakya is the first feather of a basic obstruction to, to uh, uh, enlightenment. So, you know, rather than trying to get rid of the ego, trying to change it to, to be a better person, uh, you know, is certainly admirable in one way. But, there's, you know, as long as you judge your personality, make value judgments about your character or your personality, Or emphasize your faults or your weaknesses, or if you're a narcissist thinking you're the greatest gift to the Buddha Sangha, uh, you know, that it's just, you know, you can be aware of that. That's a condition that arises and ceases. So whether it's, you know, overestimation or underestimation, whether you're shy, introverted or extroverted, These are these are karmic conditions that we experience, and if we attach to them, then we become personally become ego-centered, and that ego-centered is very righteous. You know about who's right and who's wrong, and and um, in the sangha you get a lot of righteous. In any religion, all religions become very righteous. Making judgments uh, about other religions and uh, you know so it's, a, it's a, the attachment to the religion itself can be a uh, cause of suffering so Buddhism is not you know the Buddha didn't teach Buddhism, he taught Dhamma the way it is and so in the Four Noble Truths This teaching of the Four Noble Truths is a brilliant teaching because it's not pointing to what's right, but the way it is. There's suffering, it should be understood. And just by understanding suffering as you're aware of it, you're aware of suffering, of, of being righteous and having to be right and condemn others is like this, is that peaceful does that lead to peace and happiness to be very opinionated or have strong views about how things should be, you know, and when you really observe your own tendency towards holding to strong views, you see, it's uh, it's not peaceful, a lot of suffering to have to be right. And condemn those who are wrong. That's not a a state of mind that that uh, you know is is worthy of us. Because this this path is to understand suffering, not to not to try to just hold on to conventions and views about right and wrong. You know that that are subject to change, and and uh, you know, and when you get older like your memory is lost is a problem <laughs> and your your physical degeneration you know that you can witness uh, sitting here in front of you uh, is like this if I in a, in, you know my personality doesn't want to get old as a person I don't want to be old and uh but as the way it is, an old body is like <laughs> this. So, I mean, the body is not self. So, I don't create suffering around the aging process that the body is going through. Because you realize the body is is not a person. It's a sankhar a condition. And, and not to take it personally, you know, how you look or, you know, how you... Your age or your gender or all these issues of the present time are irrelevant because the, the, uh, the real presence of the Buddha's pointing to is your true nature is perfect awareness. This is what we're capable of realizing as human individuals. And that's not personal. It's not a person, like the Buddha wasn't a person. But we tend to think of him as a person, as a, as a you know, a sage of the past, uh, because that's the way that the thinking mind operates. It creates images and reifies them and so forth. So that's what we begin to realize is is not the path to liberation. You know, in, in, uh, when Ajahn Sokha and I were in the States this past year, we caught COVID, and uh, we were at Bayagiri in California, and, uh, and, you know, how, how much did we his suffering is COVID, and, um, you know, when you... When you're just aware of it, it's the way it is, you don't create suffering around it. You no, know, you know, it's unpleasant symptoms and things like that, but, uh, that's, you know, that's what diseases are. They're, nobody wants them. We want to be healthy and strong and youthful and vigorous and uh, so forth, well, because that's uh, how we're conditioned from early on in life. When we're innocent children, we're conditioned to develop a sense of ourself as a as a male or female, as the a, a racial identities, or cultural identities, class identities. They're all acquired knowledge. They're not dhamma you know, they, they, they're they made up by a human being, right and wrong, and all these conventional religions are made up The the scriptures, the prophetic is made up by human beings. You know, the Buddha didn't write anything. So, the words of the Buddha are not, you are know, not for grasping. Just becoming a Buddhist and Believing in Buddhism is, might be, you know, good karma. It's a good karma to do that. But it's not liberating until you actually realize for yourself the, uh, the reality that you actually are. Pure awareness, which is absolutely pure and perfect. So none of us as personalities think we're perfect. Except maybe Donald Trump. <laughs> but he's, a, he's unusual. And most of us, you know, are, tend to see it, dwell on what's wrong with us, our weaknesses, our wandering mind. Our, you know, our physical appearance and our karmic conditioning we can be critical of. You know, so we can think back of my generation, uh, was, uh, back in the 50s, 1950s, when I was youth, uh, it was all this Self-help, uh, think, positive thinking was popular uh, in the United States and how to improve yourself and, and, uh, and everything was about the self, how to make yourself a better person. And I remember reading all these books on how to be a better person, how to make myself a more pleasant person and, and uh, idealizing the personality of, the, of this ideal personality, and then being aware of how un- insecure I was as a person, being critical of myself or feeling insecure, and being in the military—I was in the Navy four years—and then you—you've got this very macho kind of image before you, where you say, "I'm not afraid of anybody," and and so forth, so you're living on a ship in the Pacific Ocean, <coughs> pretending you're fearless, but you're fra- you know, fear is part of the human experience. There's a lot of fear in life, as a physical, physical presence. Like here in Anacha, there's snakes and all kinds of things that, that could cause you suffering or kill you. So, fear is, is, you know, when we say, I don't have fear, is a real ego position to take, which is false, because fear is part of our experience of life. Life is frightening as an individual form in, in the, on the planet Earth. And, and nowadays, you know, it, with all these images of climate change, and war in Ukraine, and atomic uh, uh, weapons being threatened, being uh, with atomic weapons, and and uh, overpopulation, immigration problems, migrants moving from one continent to another, and uh, there's famine, and floods, and hurricanes, and you know, these are all frightening perceptions to have. And so, you know, fear is, is the way it is. To know fear, awareness isn't frightened. If you trust awareness, that's what you really are. Then fear becomes a, an object you're aware of. It's, you know, you, you feel it. But you're aware of what you're feeling, you're not grasping what you're feeling. So this whole point of the second noble truth is to let go of conditions. <coughs> so this is, you know, this is a time where we're, we're not, we're not trying to play act to, to be anybody. And, uh, the sangha in Thailand is, is very highly respected. So, you know, it's uh, very nice living here as a Buddhist monk because everybody respects you. And, and you can't expect that in Western, in the West. But in terms of... Uh, You know, being respected and and raised up. Like, I've been given these very high titles by the king and so forth. When you've been raised up with titles and the whole nation respects you, it's like this, you know, so you're open to it. But you're not, you're no longer grasping that or expecting it or demanding it. So when disrespected, it's like this, the same way, you know, if, if I'm attached to, to being re- respected by society and I'm not, then I suffer. But if I'm not attached to being respected, doesn't mean I avoid it, but I, I'm no longer grasping that expectation. So when insulted, it's like this. And it all ends up in Yerodha, End of suffering. Third Noble Truth. If you let go of everything, you know, and you see that you realize for yourself the suffering of attachment to desires, to forms, to conditions, when you know this for yourself, you have this insight, yana dasana, a kind of wisdom, insight into non-attachment. So the way of, of is really through non-attachment. And that's, uh, you know, that's the, what attracted me so much to, to Buddhism, to Theravada Buddhism in the beginning was, it gave a way out of the dilemma that I felt of being a personality. And what I expected of myself as a person, and and my feelings that would get very upset if I was insulted or offended in any way. And, and uh, my judgments about other people strong views about who was good and who wasn't, who I liked and didn't like. And, you know, at the age of 30, I was so weary, so tired of being this person. And so, coming to Thailand was like a, with a particular interest in finding a, you know, a teacher who would help me to realize uh I'm not there, non So I think I've spoken long enough. <laughs> I haven't given a date enough for how many weeks? <laughs> Thank you so much. Damayang owa tagatasa duka lang daramasig. Sadu,